Uh, Reverend Mike Chamberlain, as you know, is coming to serve as our interim uh, beginning the first Sunday of February, and so he is here this morning, will be here next week as well, and he will be reading our scriptures. I would invite you to prepare your hearts and minds for these readings. A reading from the book of the prophet Micah in the sixth chapter, the eighth verse. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly before your God? And I invite you to stand in body or spirit as we read from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning in the 29th verse. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think? was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And let God's people say amen. What is it that um, the Lord requires, Micah asks, uh, the people ask the question of God through Micah. And Micah says to us, as we talked about last week, that the first thing God requires of us is to do justice. And so we looked a little at the difference between retributive justice and restorative justice. Uh, a willingness to understand that uh, we may need retributive justice to keep a civil society, but when we get that kind of justice wrong, when someone is incarcerated uh, unjustly or unfairly, perhaps because of the color of their skin, that, that we have work to do as people of faith. And, and, that, and that whether or not someone is, uh, is receiving consequences justifiably or not, uh, whether they are in prison or, or not, we still have the opportunity to offer restorative justice, a way of restoring one another in relationship. Micah, Micah invites us into an action, and so this morning, Micah invites us to love mercy. To love mercy. The Bible also uh, translate that, uh, translates that as kindness. But there is a nuance of difference, but I think mercy really is the umbrella that covers all of that. But I'm not sure, actually, in the midst of that, that's the only word that's important in, in that particular phrase. We are to not simply tolerate mercy. <laughs> we are to love mercy. Now, you, I know, have heard this scripture at, at, at more than one wedding about the definition of love. Love is patient, love is kind, from 1 Corinthians it is not envious or proud or rude or boastful. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That, that definition of, of, of love is the relationship we are to have with mercy. The question is, are we willing to have that kind of relationship with mercy? Mercy is that which responds to a person's need, whether or not they deserve it. Mercy is that which responds to a person when they are at their lowest, perhaps, or a person who has done wrong that deserves the punishment they get. Mercy is that part of us, and loving mercy is that part of us that is willing to offer restoration, to offer to reconcile relationship when it has been broken, regardless of whose fault it is or who is right. And sometimes we religious folks like most of all to be right. When we're right, then we stand, we believe, on higher ground. When we're right, we have every justification, we have every foundation to bring judgment and critique, whether it's compassionate or not, whether it's meant to build up or tear down. When we are religiously correct in our understanding, when we can quote what the correct answer is, then sometimes we don't believe we any longer have anything to learn. And that's what I think Micah is getting into the heart of, and it certainly is the heart of the gospel lesson this morning. We know this story most famously as the parable of the Good Samaritan, and, and what happens is that uh, Jesus is approached by a lawyer. He could have been approached by a trash collector. He could have been approached by an educator. He could have been approached by a doctor. He could have been approached by a pastor, all asking the same thing. He could have been a, uh, approached by you or me. In fact, maybe God has been approached by you or me a time or two to ask this very same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We begin to learn fairly early on that there seems to be an ending to the life that we have. Maybe our goldfish dies or a beloved pet of another kind. Maybe we, maybe we watch a, a, a great-grandparent die, and, and, and we watch our, our moms and dads, and, and we watch our grandmas and grandpas, and, and we see their sadness, and so somehow we begin to learn that, that, that there is a separation, there is an ending, there, there, there is a finality, and we ask those questions, where, where did they go? And we say they went to be with Jesus, and we want that to be a, a warm and inviting understanding, and and what I sometimes ask myself is, how is it that we are so willing to comfort the youngest of our young when they ask questions about where great-grandma or great-grandpa went, when we're willing to so compassionately and so carefully and so sensitively answer the question, and never once saying, well, you know, they could be burning in hell. You know your great-grandpa, he was kind of a mess. Yeah, we, we don't do that. Even if it's true, we don't do that. Because we care, even more than what we may think is at threat. We want the youngest of our young not to be afraid, and yet are we willing to give our, ourselves that same kind of sensitivity? Are we willing to give ourselves that same kind of comfort? Are we willing to give ourselves that same kind of strength in faith? Death isn't something to be afraid of, we try to tell our youngest. They've gone to be with Jesus. 
we wonder, don't we? We wonder, have they gone to be with Jesus? We wonder, will we go to be with Jesus? Before we cast aspersions on this lawyer that comes to Jesus to ask this question, understand we're all sitting in the back row of the classroom, glad, glad that type A student in the front row is willing to ask the question we're not willing to ask in public. How do I get to heaven? We all want to know. Give me that right answer. Give me that security. Give me that, give me that confidence. Give me that affirmation because someday it's going to happen to me and I want to know. He's asking the question we all ask at some level, at some point, with no small amount, perhaps, of urgency. Jesus, what, what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do to be in and not out? And Jesus says, Okay, what, is, what does the religious law say? What is, what is the book of discipline for we United Methodists? What does the book of discipline say? What does your governance structure say? And we need all of those things, by the way. So Jesus says, what does the law say? What do you read there? And, and, and the lawyer says, um, we are to love. Love is patient, love is kind. It's not envious, boastful, arrogant, rude. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures life. We are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. He could recite it. He knew it. <laughs> but there was something missing. It's part of what we talked about last week that is one of the foundations of this Bible is the, the God who seeks <laughs> not just outward form, but inner transformation. I know what the law says, to love God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, to love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus says, you got it right. You are right, right, right. Good for you. You can recite that scripture without blinking an eye. You are right. But the lawyer doesn't go away. He got his question answered. But he doesn't go away because, you see, even for those of us who sometimes think we are so religiously right that we can't miss a beat, sometimes that leaves us feeling empty. Sometimes that's not quite enough. Sometimes it doesn't fulfill the, 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 the sort of inner, the inner longing, the, the inner question, the, the inner desperation sometimes. So it, so it says, the lawyer says, okay. You've told me I'm right, but I still, who's my neighbor? Like, who, who, who do I have to, who do I have to love? Just tell me who I have to love, and, and then I'll go do that, and I'll, I'll check it off. I'll check it off my list. Who do I have to love? And here's the deal. Every good parent or old person of any kind always has a story. And as children or, or grandchildren are like, oh, here they go again. I'm going to get another story. Can't they just make the point? Can't they just cut to the chase? Can't they just do it in 140 characters or less? That's where we should get our wisdom, right? From Twitter tweeting. 140 characters or less should do it for us, shouldn't it? Jesus said, I gave you that answer. You're right. But when, the, but when the lawyer stays around and says, no, you know, I want to know who my neighbor is, then Jesus tells a story. 
There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the hands of the robbers, and they beat him nearly to death and took everything he had and left him naked, laying in the, laying in the ditch. And a priest came by and walked to the other side of the road and went on. And a Levite came by and walked to the other side of the road and went on. Understand, they had legitimate reasons, friends. The, the law, and I'm, I'm serious, the law said that those who attend the temple... Those who attend to those who come, bringing sacrifices of atonement to atone for their sin. Those who are working in the temple, the Levites, who are taking care of all of those rituals and all of those ordinances, they would have been made unclean by someone who is naked. They would have been made unclean if he was bleeding and they touched that blood. They would not have been able to do their jobs to attend to the, to the rules that they had been given for the jobs that they had been called to. They had legitimate legal reasons not to draw near to a naked, bleeding man left in a ditch. And then a Samaritan came by. We probably don't realize how radical that is. Samaritans and God's chosen people had hated one another since approximately 931 before the Christian era. For a thousand, a millennium you see, King Solomon, the son of King David, who united all the 12 tribes of Israel together, King Solomon died in 931 before the Christian era, before the birth of Christ. And at his death, the tribes split. And the 10 tribes who were called the Northern Kingdom, they claimed Samaria as their capital. The two tribes that made up Judah claimed Jerusalem as their capital. And for nearly a millennia, they hated one another. Political envy. <laughs> Economic exploitation anytime they got the chance. Religious bigotry. Ethnic inequality. Any of that sound familiar? So they worked very hard not to be near each other. And the first thing that Jesus' story says is a Samaritan came by and drew near to the man lying in the ditch. You see, there, there is a point there that we might very easily miss. The priest walks to the other side. The Levite walks to the other side. But the Samaritan draws near. Friends, if we are going to be deep people of faith, if we're going to be disciples following Jesus Christ, we can't stay at a distance from the things in this world that make us uncomfortable most especially relationships. First thing the Samaritan does is draw near. What does Jesus say to those who are asking about the kingdom? He says the kingdom has drawn near in himself. The kingdom has come near to this Jesus who allows hemorrhaging women to touch his robe as a Jewish rabbi, which was against the law. The kingdom has drawn near to this Jesus who sees a man living in the tombs because he's filled with demons and offers him freedom. The kingdom has drawn near, Jesus says, to the Samaritan woman at the well. He, a Jewish rabbi, asks a drink of a woman in, a, in Samaria at a well. His disciples have walked around Samaria because they, they know that they aren't to be anywhere near anything that is hated. And Jesus walks right up and asks her to draw water from a well. 
Jesus draws near to those the rest of the world has been holding at a distance. Jesus heals ten lepers and only one comes back to give thanks and he was a Samaritan. Jesus draws near. The Samaritan draws near to the man who is vulnerable, naked, and bleeding in the ditch, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the next town, pays for a, a room for him and cares for him until he has to go and then leaves money for the man to be cared for. And Jesus asks the question of the one who just couldn't quite get an understanding of what it took to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, which one of these do you think is the one who was the neighbor? that we are to love even as we love ourselves. Which one was the neighbor? Now, the lawyer knew it was a rhetorical question. But the Bible says he answered. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, you want to inherit, you want to inherit eternal life? Go and do likewise. You see, the, the priest and the Levite walked by the Samaritan, or walked by the the, the, the man in the ditch who had been attacked and asked themselves, what would happen to me if I touched him or drew near to him? The Samaritan walked by, drew near, and said, what would happen to him if I didn't do what God calls me to do? What's our first question? What will happen to me if I'm seen with those kind of people? Or what will happen to them if I don't draw near? to help them. What will happen to me if I invite those among us who don't have the, the, the right amount of economic strength, who don't, who don't have the same political persuasion, who, who don't see things exactly the same way? What if I'm seen with them? Or what will happen to them if I don't offer a hand to draw near? We don't know if the one who came to ask Jesus about eternal life. We, we don't know if he decided to go and do likewise. We, we don't know if he decided to go and, 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 and live in mercy and grace and, and responding to people's need, whether they deserve it or not. You know, Jesus would, have just been, Jesus would have just been smarter if he didn't make it so clear. And, and, and Micah, Micah would have done us so much better if he said to, to do justice and to tolerate mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. I can tolerate certain things. I can tolerate a car cutting in front of me. When we all know the lanes are going from three to one in two miles. I can do the every other thing. I've read the physics as well. That's how traffic flows most smoothly. Is if you go every other one as you, as you merge down. So I'm willing to go every other one. I can tolerate mercy for one. But when that one lets three cars in front of them... That's not the way the system works. <laughs> Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envious or boastful or proud or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, not some things. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love. Love 
Paul says in Corinthians, never ends. That's to be our relationship with mercy. And friends, you just were given this morning the keys to the kingdom of heaven. No more fear of death. No more fear of, of suffering. No more fear of some fiery furnace without a cool drink of water. God's grace is true. Eternal life is ours in mercy, with love. Amen.